0: You're listening to Hive Hoops, a Charlotte Hornets podcast. Here's your host, Joshua Balta. And just like that, we move from draft season to free agency season. I'm your host, Joshua Balta. Hi, Hoops, coming at you today. We are going to do a quick intro into free agency, just kind of give you some of my thoughts on where the Hornets should look. Mitch Kupchak had some big comments following the draft, going to get into those. And then I've had the weekend to think about Thursday night and the 2023 NBA draft and what the Hornets did going to give you my more measured thoughts, I guess. Maybe they're measured, maybe they're not. We'll get into that. But first, I want to lead off with free agency because that happens this week. Friday at 6 p.m., teams are allowed to start what used to be (laughs) the tampering period, and some teams got in trouble for it. Uh, Some didn't. Most of the time, they did not, right? And so the NBA... (laughs) There used to be, you know, a hard start to free agency, but teams were already contacting free agents. Uh, Agents were already reaching out to teams, interested teams, and they were already negotiating prior to the actual start of free agency. So the NBA kind of did this weird thing where they're like, okay, we'll start. You know, we know what you guys are doing. And – We'll go ahead and allow you to start talking. But these moves really aren't official until this day. New league year, all of these things have to, you know, get the budgets right, got to get the books right, have to turn over the calendar for the new year, new season, all of that. But that time period in which free agents and their agents can start talking to teams, interested teams, is this Friday. And so at 6 p.m. Eastern, all right, and so we are there. Like, we literally left. So all we've been talking about, all anybody's been talking about for the past month, a little bit over that actually, has been the number two overall pick and what the Charlotte Hornets are going to do there. But now as soon as that's over, we roll straight into free agency mode. People started kind of moving past that because and already talking about summer league because people are so interested in seeing what the Charlotte Hornets have and Brandon Miller, everybody's ready to jump to their way too soon conclusions about Brandon Miller, about the, the youth of the Charlotte Hornets team and just kind of looking past free agency because I think in some regard is because of Mitch Kupchak's comments that he's made prior about how the Charlotte Hornets – just really aren't big spenders in free agency. They're not a premier destination. They're not a place where free agents want to come and play yet. He thinks that they can be one day, but that's not where the team is now, according to Mitch. And so I think a lot of fans taking in those comments and hearing Mitch Kupchak continuously downplay the use of free agency, for the Charlotte Hornets, a lot of people have just kind of skipped over free agency and gone straight to give me the summer league. But what we're going to do is we're going to retract. We're going to back up, beep, 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 and we are actually going to look at free agency a little more. Now, I did do a free agency episode or a segment, I would say. uh, I'd say o- over a month ago. Okay. And so there was an episode where I had Ben, all right, from Hornets Twitter on, and we were discussing some things. And free agency was one of the things that we got into because, you know, the draft was a long way away and just, you know, projecting out what the Charlotte Hornets should be doing over, you know, free agency and in the free agency period. And so, there are a list of guys that I would like to see the Charlotte Hornets pursue in free agency, but there are there are essentially three lists that I have created. So I have a desired list. I have a mid-level exception list. And then I have a he was already a Hornet, let's bring him back list or let's maybe look into that. And so there's really – I have three tiers to my free agency list. And so the first one, these players project to require more money than what the Charlotte Hornets have available to spend because where the Charlotte Hornets are currently, they are over the cap. We, are, <laughs> For a team that won 27 games, I know a lot of injuries, right? But for a team that won 27 games last season, the Charlotte Hornets are over the cap. That can be frustrating. That can be deflating. That's part of the reason why there's some frustration amongst the fan base. Because if you look at the other seven teams that were at the top of the draft, okay? So in that regard, you have San Antonio, you have us, Charlotte, and then you have Portland. Uh, Houston, Detroit, Orlando, Indiana, right? Of those seven teams, only two of them are over the cap, being us, the Charlotte Hornets, and then the Portland Trailblazers, who have a top 10 player in the NBA on their roster. Maybe top 12 if you're a little bit lower on Dame. I don't know where you're at, but you get what I'm saying, right? You have the Portland Trailblazers with a damn near superstar on their team who are over the cap. Makes a little bit more sense. Have had some playoff success in recent years. And then you have us. And then there's the rest of the teams who were at the bottom of the league, but they're under the cap because they haven't paid Gordon Hayward. They haven't paid a Terry Rozier. They haven't in some regard, strapped the flexibility of their roster building with those big contracts. And so if you go back to last episode with Sam Dracula on draft night, he spoke about how the Hornets never did a full reset. Like they did a soft rebuild, like flipped Kemba for Terry, who was making 17 million at that time which isn't a bad that, that wasn't a terrible contract but you have somebody that you're coming in that's making over 12 mil that's kind of the line where you kind of draw between a lower end because that's the mid-level exception number in my mind that's where I kind of draw the line of 12 mil and under those are your that's kind of your middling tier you you have your rookie scale contracts which are l- lower than that and then if you want to build out a roster when you are like doing a rebuild you generally don't want to go over that 12 12 and a half maybe 13 million dollar number because once you start getting into larger contracts than that that's where you really start eating up some of your cap space and some of your roster flexibility so Terry came in over that number in my mind and so It wasn't terrible, and obviously we've seen that that ended up actually working out for us. Kemba's seems done in the league. Bless him. But you never did a hard reset. And then after that, yeah, you, you draft LaMelo Ball. Great decision, okay? But then you go out and you sign Gordon Hayward to this massive deal, and it hasn't worked out for you. And I I never really saw a world where it would. It it, it always kind of ended up like this. The Hornets battling for a lower seed, maybe a play-in tournament like we have, and dealing with a lot of injuries from him. And so there was never a hard reset. There was like a soft reset. And that's why the Hornets find themselves in the situation that they're in is because these other teams, they pretty much did a hard reset. They sold off their guys. They got a bunch of picks in return. They traded away, you know, some players that they could get some real assets for or younger or guys that were still on their rookie deal. Like, I mean, you saw the Pacers give up Sabonis, who's an all-star and who's a top 25 player in the league but they went and got a younger guy that that they projected to be an all-star as well but that would be on his rookie deal for longer and then you see the pistons who you know have just acquired young guys and they really they didn't sign any any big names and they they're not stuck to any large contracts um and then you see who's another uh, San Antonio who sold off Murray and they got rid of any and all of their big contracts so that they could reset their team. They saw where they were headed. They were going to be a middling team and they created all of this cap space, acquired all of these picks and we never really did that. And so we're in this tier now and it's semi-frustrating Because you don't have any cap flexibility to really go out and get anybody because of some of the prior deals that you've made in recent years. And so that leaves you in this middling tier where you don't have, you have basically one exception. It's called the mid level exception that you can spend. I know I'm kind of rambling here, but I'm trying to give you my full thoughts on like where the Charlotte Hornets are as far as free agency goes. So there's this tier of guys that I would like to target that I don't believe is going to cost the Hornets too much. They are kind of that lower end of your premier free agents. And then there's this middle tier of guys that you could bring in that – Will come off the bench. You have some guys that can, you know, produce for you. Uh, they'll come off the bench. They can play a role 15 to 18 minutes a night, give you good minutes, maybe provide some leadership, depending upon where you view that. And then you have the lower end where you just kind of bring back some of your guys that you had last year that may be impressed, that have some continuity already and some camaraderie with the team and with the guys. And so those are my three levels. So at that top level, we are not in play for the James Hardens of the world, the Kyrie Irvings of the world, the Chris Middletons of the world. Not that I even really want to be, right? I mean, James Harden, sure, he's a good player. I mean, I guess if we had the money bringing him in, wouldn't be the worst thing? He could play the two. Um You'd have to do something with Terry and stuff like that. You'd have to do a lot with the roster, right? So I but I guess what I don't want to say is, oh, no, like as a Charlotte Hornets fan, who are we to say, no, we don't want James Harden here? Who are we to say that we don't want a Chris Middleton here? I I don't want to come off that way. It's just for the money that they are going to garner, are they going to give you back that kind of production? For the problems that Kyrie Irving is going to bring to your locker room, is he worth the money spending no they're not and so you know we're not in play for that tier of guy right and so i and i don't even want to be that's fine that's not where we are currently i don't want those guys but the, the the list of guys that i would not mind the Charlotte Hornets pursuing that are kind of on that mid to lower end of the premier targets harrison barnes i tweeted this from the hornets lead account the other day he is a younger, more reliable version of Gordon Hayward. And we've seen what what a healthy Gordon Hayward can be for this team. That's what Harrison Barnes is. I project him to be a little bit better of a defender than Gordon Hayward. Uh, he just because of the injury concerns, um, I mean, they're really comparable on that end. Like Harrison Barnes isn't pushing anybody, um, you know, on the defensive end. But he's going to give you equivalent defensive play as Gordon Hayward, if not a little bit better, okay? Rebounding, he and Gordon Hayward are roughly in that same atmosphere the place where you would see a downtick in production from Harrison Barnes is his creation for others and uh, being able to really spread the ball around. Gordon Hayward is a and has been a secondary facilitator when healthy for the Charlotte Hornets. He's good at moving the ball and finding guys. Uh, that's actually one of his underrated attributes, and so you would see a downtick in that area, but I really like Harrison Barnes because he's going to score he can hit threes uh mid range he that's kind of where he's made his living uh is you know three and mid range guy um he's younger and more reliable he doesn't have the injury concerns uh he's three, four years younger than Gordon Hayward, and so I like that. He's he's extremely Gordon Hayward-esque, and we've seen what a healthy Gordon Hayward can be. It's just he's never healthy, and you can't rely on him for that. And so Harrison Barnes, I really like. Uh, Dylan Brooks, I'm lower on Dylan Brooks than I once was just because I felt like he was yapping and yapping and yapping, and then all of a sudden when he couldn't back it up with his play, he stopped. I don't I don't like that. And, um, I mean, that whole, you know, bark, no bite when it comes down to it, I, I, I didn't like that. But then I also can see what Dylan Brooks provides you. During the season, Um he does have postseason experience. He was going up against LeBron James. He was just – he was being disrespectful to one of the greatest players of all time, and he didn't take lightly to that. And he went out there, and he put it on his head. Okay. And so, you know, Dylan Brooks tried to, like, climb up. He tried to, you know, go at the big dog, and the big dog wasn't having it. Um So – I would still be open to Dylan Brooks and Charlotte. I just – I think he's going to, I don't know where – he's the biggest one. Like, I don't know where he's going to fall. Like, I'm pretty confident that Harrison Barnes is going to be 20 mil. He's going to land somewhere in that range. Um, Maybe a little bit more, 20 to 23 per year. Dylan Brooks, I really don't know. Uh, He has the report coming out that the Grizzlies under no circumstances will be bringing him back. That doesn't look good, Uh, you know, as far as other teams being interested when a front office comes out and states something like that. uh, That's not really the endorsement that you want. So I really don't know where he's going to land uh, there, but I would not mind – Bringing in Dylan Brooks, I think he would give you a toughness. He would be, you know, your best wing defender at the three position immediately. Uh, Yes, that even means with Brandon Miller coming in, Brandon Miller does not have the NBA experience. Dylan Brooks would be a better defender, at least to start off. Brandon Miller hopefully supersedes that throughout his career. Uh, But Dylan Brooks has more of an NBA body. He has the experience. uh, He has playoff experience, things that Brandon Miller just doesn't have. So I would not be opposed to that. Um, Josh Hart is another player that I would really like the Hornets to pursue. I love – like Josh Hart just does all of the little things. And I know that he had that, like, deadline with the Knicks um, that was extended – that they were trying to figure out if he was, you know, the player option. It may have been a team option. I'm I'm blanking right now on whether it was player option or team option. I think it was player option because I think he kind of wanted to go see what he could get on the open market because if it was a team option, they would the Knicks would just pick it up. So I'm pretty sure there was a player option. But uh Josh Hart just does those every he does the little things that every team needs. Um he's not great at any one thing. But I love how hard he plays um he's just he just does the little stuff uh Jeremy Grant I this is who I wanted the Charlotte Hornets to pursue when we signed Gordon Hayward. I did not want Gordon Hayward I wanted Jeremy Grant Jeremy Grant received a contract at 20 mil per year um the Charlotte Hornets would have saved a lot of money which could then have you know, Maybe you add another player at some point using that additional money combined with another deal at some point. who knows Um, I would have liked that. He's also dealt with some injury concerns, so I don't love that. but jeremy grant is a he's a good perimeter uh defender. He does put pressure on the rim um he's a streaky shooter. I, honestly, I wouldn't even call that a streaky shooter he's He's not a great shooter. Uh, He can hit sometimes, but then it's not reliable. And so that's his biggest thing or his biggest negative, I guess you would say. And then Brooke Lopez, of course. Um, I would like pursuing that. I know that we have Nick Richards. I know that we have Mark Williams. Um, But he kind of is on that. I mean, he's older. What is Brooke Lopez, 35, 36 he doesn't have many years left, but for that veteran presence, um, I would like to bring in a guy like Brooke Lopez. I mean, he, he was in contention for Defensive Player of the Year last year. Um, I mean, if there's a vet that you would like on your team, he's the guy. Lighthearted, uh, easy to get along with, would, prob- would resonate with the guys early on, I would say, uh, championship pedigree. Uh, but then also a fierce competitor and a guy that plays extremely hard and demands a lot out of his teammates. Uh, I would love that. Is Brook Lopez going to want to leave Milwaukee and come to Charlotte? I highly doubt it. And even if he does leave Milwaukee, uh, he's probably going somewhere where he's not surrounded by a bunch of kids and where he is still vying for a championship. Um, I haven't heard a lot. I know Chris Middleton's getting more of the focus in Milwaukee currently. I don't really know where Milwaukee stands on Brooklyn, but I can't imagine that they're not. I mean, I guess if he's not a restricted free agent and I don't believe he is, man, I just, I don't know where that all lies. I haven't looked at Milwaukee's books and, you know, deep dove into that enough, but those are some guys I would like, but in order to bring in any of those, the Hornets would have to trade, okay? Because we, we do not have the cap space in order to bring any of those guys in. Dylan Brooks would be the one that maybe could fit into the mid-level exception that the Charlotte Hornets have, but I think that he's going to get just above that. And it would have to be a thing where, like, Dylan Brooks really would, like – Mitch Kupchak, the front office of Charlotte, is talking to his agent and says, hey, we see him in this role, and we see him as a prominent piece to bring into Charlotte and to really change our culture. We see him coming in and leading the locker room, and and then all of that, and I think you get into dangerous zone there even. I want a guy like Dylan Brooks, but like at the same time, is that the guy that you want to be the face of your not the face of your franchise, but the face of the culture of your franchise. Like the tone set, setter and all of those things, maybe. Maybe some of you want that. I I don't know if I necessarily want Dylan Brooks in that role um, as the culture guy. Uh, like I don't mind if he's one of, but if he came into Charlotte, like he's basically that guy. And if he did take the mid-level exception and – he was sold on roll for that reason. Um, I guess maybe he could squeeze in at that mid-level exception if he was really sold on that role, But I assume that he's going to be right above that. Um, and so the Hornets would have to deal someone like Gordon Hayward, uh, someone like Terry Rozier, in order to bring in some of these guys, which would then open up some space for a guy with more veteran leadership. Um, Here's the thing, though. I don't think that you can trade away Terry Rozier and Gordon Hayward. Like, well, I don't think – let me backtrack on that. I don't think that you can trade away Terry Rozier, um, which is at this point. Like, you don't have another two guard that has shown that they can truly produce at the NBA level. You just don't. And I, I, I know that there are a lot of two guards on this roster. You have Cody Martin, and you have James Booknight, and you have Nick Smith Jr. now. Um, I mean, Bryce McGowan's can fit in at the two. A lot of people are projecting Brandon Miller to play at the two. I don't see it yet, uh, but that's hopefully at some point that's what you want. And But Terry Rozier is the only one that's proven that can really give you – you know, production consistently at the two. And that's on this roster, which is another reason why I thought that, you know, Scoot Henderson, you know, not getting into that too much right now would have been a great fit because we needed another guard that was NBA ready. And he was that. So, um but just from a leadership standpoint, like people – I don't think LaMelo and Terry Rozier really fit either. But if you move Terry, you've got to bring in another, like, vet. Like, you can't just move it. You can't just bring uh, or trade Terry for picks and some other young guy. Like, you can't do that. If you move Terry Rozier, you've got to move him and acquire a vet in return because – Right now, he's the closest thing that you have to veteran leadership on this roster. And so if you take him off, and then, yeah, you maybe add another vet later on, you, have like, addition by subtraction. Like, you took someone away that was probably your best leader or your most vocal locker room guy just to add another. Like, you need multiple, right? And so at this point, you know, with the Charlotte Hornets not selecting Scoot, with the Charlotte Hornets um, not going with, you know, trading Gordon Hayward, which I don't think that they really could on draft night either. Like, you don't have another person who has that, that leadership capability. And – Terry can't be your top guy. We've seen that. Like, he's tried. He says he's going to play defense, but, like, (laughs) he never does. He got all the guys to go to Miami, which was good, and he's like, we're making the playoffs, but then we never made the playoffs. Um, Like, he's a fine leadership piece, but he can't be the main culture guy either but then you can't also just take him away and replace him with one new guy. Like then you have nothing. And so it's just, it's on the leadership front, the Charlotte Hornets are sorely lacking They we, we just are, um, that parts, I, I don't know where you can really go with that, but I don't think that you can really just move off of Terry is what I'm getting at. um, those mid-level guys that the Charlotte Hornets that should project to be a mid-level exception guy for the Charlotte Hornets that also fit that veteran role that can provide a source of leadership in one way or another bobby marks put out a you know a piece this morning stating which players are in that mid-level exception range. And so all of the guys I just named, they're in a tier above. Like the Charlotte Hornets are going to have to trade somebody and consolidate in order to acquire any of those guys. Uh, But this mid-level tier, I have a few names that I like that can offer you leadership qualities while producing on the court, because that's what Mitch Kupchak said. He said, we need a leader. We haven't had that over the last couple of years. I'm paraphrasing here. We haven't had that guy who's just really led the team. We've had to have a coach assume that role, uh, but we need a guy. We need a vet who takes on leadership and that can play. So he doesn't want to Udonis Haslam level guy who's just on the bench and in the locker room, but doesn't produce on the court and that you can't put out there. He wants both. He wants not somebody who has to start, but somebody who can produce on the court, set the tone, give you good minutes and then also be a locker room bench guy. Okay. Uh, Seth Curry. I don't see Seth Curry as this extremely vocal guy. I just don't. Uh, i I don't really see that as part of his game but he is older. Uh, he can provide you good minutes and he can produce in those in those minutes. He would come in and he would immediately assume the backup shooting guard uh, minutes on this team gives you good shooting spaces the floor um lead from a leadership standpoint um I mean, he can provide that, I think. He's just not going to be that tone setter. He's not going to be that. So he would be a more quiet leader option for the Charlotte Hornets, which I'm not opposed to. Uh, It's just you kind of want that guy who's also going to talk. He's going to, you know, really get into the guys and really lead and things like that, which brings up a Patrick Beverly uh, I'm, we, <laughs> we all know Patrick Beverly. We all know his antics. We all know what he's about and the style of game that he plays. Um, he can provide you minutes still. He can, you know, really inject good minutes on the floor. But here's the thing is if the Charlotte Hornets choose to use their mid-level exception, there's going to be another team who also wants to use their mid-level exception. And where's Pat Bev going to want to go? Is he is is he going to want to come to a new place in Charlotte where he's on, what, a fifth team in, like, six years? Is he going to want to do something like that? Or is he going to want to go to a team that he's already been on, that he has, you know, some say with? And, uh, I mean, he I – th- I think the Timberwolves are in that category where they can use their mid-level exception. I'm pretty positive. Um, and so would he rather just go to the Timberwolves? because that kind of makes more sense from his standpoint than coming to Charlotte. Um so i i I don't think that that's just super realistic. um, and i I don't know if I would just love that anyways. Um, I like Pat Bev. I like the mentality that he has, but I kind of want somebody who can produce more on the floor than what he can. like, at this point, he really just is a talker to me. Um, Russell Westbrook. That's an interesting one. The Charlotte Hornets need a backup point guard. A lot of people want Dennis Smith Jr. to come back. Uh, but Russell Westbrook could be that backup point guard that gives you 15, 18 minutes. If if LaMelo goes down, like he can lead a team. like He can run point. And can he shoot? No. Does he do some stuff for a team That is questionable. Does he try to take over in moments and not facilitate as much that as he needs to? Sure. But that's a tried and tested guy with playoff experience, MVP in his, you know, past career. Is he anywhere near that at this point? No. That's why he's falling into this mid-level exception tier. But, I mean, you start talking about bringing – Russell Westbrook into the fold, um, I'm interested in that, like as, as your backup, I mean, he would have to know and assume that role, but he's also come off the bench before. I mean, he was doing that last season with the Lakers. Now, I don't know how much he liked that because things didn't go well with the Lakers in which he ended up being traded. um, but I wouldn't mind that if LaMelo gets into foul trouble, as he's been accustomed to doing. That's a guy who can run point. Um, if LaMelo goes down with injury, Russell Westbrook never gets injured. It's just like hes he doesn't. He's pretty reliable. And so even if he makes some questionable decisions at moments and different things, he's reliable. He's going to play hard. You know what you're going to get from him. Um, that's not a terrible option now. Once again, kind of what Pat Bev does Russell Westbrook want to go to a team where he's going to be the backup, where he's going to play second fiddle to LaMelo Ball, where we're not really vying for a championship? Does he want to go to a place like that? He's going to have suitors, there are going to be numerous teams that would like to bring him into their fold. So yeah, he's probably not coming to Charlotte unless you know Michael Jordan can get on the phone and be like, "Hey Russ, we'll put you, you know, Jordan Brand guy. Let's 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 do this. Let's bring you here. I wanted you prior. Uh, you know this. We, you know, reports that we were going to trade the number three pick for you back in 2020. That would have been terrible. Uh, but <laughs> um, you know, let's run this thing and you know, let's see where it goes. Who knows." Um, a couple other guys, uh, Trey Lyles is a name. He averaged 17 minutes a game last year. It's not a sexy name by any means, but he averaged 17 minutes per game last season with the Sacramento Kings played 17 minutes per game in the playoffs as well. He got uh good minutes. He didn't produce and play particularly well in the playoffs, um, But he did give good minutes. He shot 46% from the field last year and I believe 36, 37% from three, which isn't bad for a power forward. Uh, I mean, that's essentially a replication of P.J. Washington from three, not the rest of his game. Uh, But this, this Hornets team does not have any power forwards other than P.J. Washington. And that's if the Charlotte Hornets decide to bring back P.J. Washington. Um, Gosh. I mean, the team has no functioning NBA-ready, truly NBA-ready power forwards on this roster. Now, that can change with P.J. Washington coming back. Maybe Miles Bridges coming back. He can slide and he can play the floor at times as well. But Trey Lyles could be an option to give you depth at the four, um, which is an area of need for the Charlotte Hornets currently. Um, And then you have the tier of Charlotte Hornets that can be brought back. You have Dennis Smith Jr. You have um, Kelly Oubre Jr. Those guys, what can you do? And both of those were listed as mid-level exception guys. So maybe the Charlotte Hornets sit there and they say, you know what? Yeah. uh, Why not just bring back one of our guys that already has some continuity with this roster that the guys like that give them another year to assume a leadership role? Um, Let's see how the guys respond to them. And let's just – Let's run Dennis Smith Jr. as backup uh, point guard, and we can give him the mid-level exception, and move on from there. And we're set. Um, I th- there has to be a new face on this roster. There has to be some consolidation. I've stated that in numerous episodes. We have too many young guys who you just don't know about, and at some point you can't and and and. Sam Dracula said this on the last episode. If you haven't listened to the draft uh, night episode, please go back and listen. Uh, Good stuff. We just keep adding more and more young guys to this team, and it's like we still don't even know what we truly have in some of the other guys. And some of that's on the organization. Some of that's on the player themselves. Like James Booknight had opportunities last year. He just did not take advantage of them. I actually put James Booknight uh, and not knowing where he is more so on James Booknight. I just do. Kai Jones, I put more on the organization. They've continuously tried to fit him at power forward. They're trying to strain him into a position that he just – that's not his position. It's just not. And I, I, I place the lack of development for Kai Jones – more so on the organization than Kai Jones. Because I think Kai Jones has the work ethic. I think Kai Jones has the want to. I think he has the desire. They just keep trying to play him at power forward, and they need to stop. They need to move forward with Kai Jones as a center and beef him up, bulk him up, and let him just be that energizer guy, rim-running guy, that, like, stop trying to make him into a power forward. Just stop. Uh, simplify his role and move forward. I I don't like the way that we've handled Kai Jones as far as his role. Do I think that he's NBA ready? No, I don't. But, like, we've tried to do too much with him. We've tried to, like, expand too much of his game, and it just needs to be streamlined with when it comes to Kai Jones. We saw some good things out of JT Thor. I think that he's a piece to stay. He was – I believe he was the youngest person in the draft back in 2021, and so and 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 we've seen some good things from JT. If he can, he can be your prototypical three and D player, because defensively he's there. He's got the lateral movement. He has the length. He has the desire. That's his role. Uh, like JT Thor's role has been streamlined, and it's been. To the point. And so we know, and he knows what that is. So he just has to develop a consistent three-point shot, and he'll be in this league for a long time. JT Thor will. Um, then you have Bryce McGowan's I, I like Bryce McGowan's going to do an episode on ranking, like where all of the young guys are, how we see them that aren't LaMelo Ball, right, and how high we are on them and different things like that in future episodes going to do that. But – we just have all of these young guys, and we have just such, you know, coagulation in the middle of that roster. And, like, we've got to do something. Like, we just brought in Leaky Black on a two way, and Amari Bailey's probably going to get, the, you know, that uh, two way contract as well. Nick Smith Jr., we don't know really what's going to. He, like he's probably going to be on the roster um and just go down to you know into the G League you got Brandon Miller coming into the fold you have we just we 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 have to consolidate this roster at some point and so just bringing back the same guys there's something to be said about that and then there's also a negative to be said about it as well so we'll I mean I guess we'll see how that goes um yeah. <laughs> so that's that that's kind of our quick, I know it wasn't that quick, but in one episode, kind of our free agent free agency primer, I guess you could call it, on what we want the Hornets to do. Uh and kind of our three tiers. Your top pro pros, your top uh projections and the your 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 top uh guys that you would maybe try to pursue, and then you have your middle tier that you could sign with your exception, and then you have your Hornets guys that you could bring back. Jalen McDaniels is back on the market. You could always bring him back as well. Mason Plumlee is also back on the market. You could always bring him back. Please no. Please no. That's just more no. I would not want that whatsoever. um, At all. At all. So that's just kind of our uh, our quick to it free agency. Uh, you know, episode, I guess you could call it. Now, getting to the draft, I'm going to try to stay short on this just because I know we're kind of getting into a longer episode. I, I went longer on the free agency side than I wanted to. I still believe that we made the wrong decision on Thursday night, and some of you may like that, some of you may not. Uh, it really doesn't matter. I, I'm a Brandon Miller guy now he's a Charlotte Hornet. That's, that's really all that there is to it. Um, but I can't help, like, I'm not switching on what I think about the player just because we drafted one and we didn't draft the other. Like, I, like I'm like i a Brandon Miller fan. I'm not a Scoot fan. Like, Scoot does not play for the team that I create content for and, you know, that I watch. and You know, 82 games a year for. Like, Scoot's not a hornet. I'm not a Scoot fan. I'm a Brandon Miller fan, and I hope that I improve. Wrong, wholeheartedly. I just, I don't, I don't see the upside with Brandon Miller. If, if Brandon Miller, if he's as good defensively as, I guess Mitch Kupchak foresees him to be, and the three-point shot is an elite attribute, then I think he's going to be good. Someone asked me the other day, I had a good question from a listener. They said, they asked me, what will it take for you to view Brandon Miller as a success, as a good selection? And my answer was this, um, the three-point shot has to be real. We, he can't come in and shooting 34 35% from three. Like, we were told and sold on the fact that he is an elite shooter at 6'9. 34 35% is not an elite shooter. PJ Washington shoots better from three than that. Like, I don't want another PJ Washington with the number two overall pick. And I like PJ, I really like PJ. Okay. That's not what you told me that Brandon Miller was going to be at, too. People were saying Paul George. All right. That's the, that's the name that comes up when it comes to Brandon Miller. Like, those are the names that people are mentioning. Okay. PJ Washington is offering what PJ Washington offers, which I think is a damn good player. But when you're selecting it, too, you want franchise altering. You want a guy that's going to take you to next steps. And so that three point shot better be legit and it better be legit early. It has to be real. We can't be doing this thing where he's struggling with this three point shot into year two, into year three, and it's not 38, 39% or higher. It like it it needs to be at least right there in that 38% range. It has to be. It just has to be, and so we can't have this thing where his elite attribute is not elite. We can't have that. Defensively, he, he, I, as long as he can guard one position, I'm fine. So, like all these, like I think Mitch Kupchak set him up to fail. Uh, In this regard, like Mitch Kupchak said, yeah, we see him as being able to guard one through four. And like, when I heard that, I was like, oh no, Mitch, please don't do that. Like, please don't do that to the, there are only like three guys in the league who can truly do something like that, who can truly guard multiple positions. And really, really, like, honestly, like people always try to fit, say that people can guard one through four, right? And that's just not real. That's not real. If you can guard two positions in the NBA, you're a really good defender. Like, if you can guard two positions in the NBA and do it well, you're a really good defender. There's a lot of people who try and they're not a good defender, right? But if you can do it and you do it well, If you can guard two positions in the NBA, you're a really good defender. If you can do three, you are a damn good defender, okay? But this one through four stuff is, like, so overblown. Like, you have Giannis. uh, You have Bam in certain situations even. Like, because, like, Bam can't stay with the elite point guards, in the NBA, he can't even stay with most of the elite two guards, right? And so, like, when you really start getting into this, Draymond Green, like, he's a really good defender, okay? He can probably guard two positions. Like, we need to stop with this, and so I don't like that. If Brandon Miller can come in year one and be a plus defender at one position, which I think projects it, small forward, then I think that that is good enough, especially for year one. If at some point he can develop into being able, you know, through NBA experience, through game experience, things like that, and be able to guard two people or two two people, two, <laughs> two positions, then I think that that's a win. I think that that's a win. At that point, what that sounds like is a 3-and-D guy. I don't want to draft a 3-and-D guy at two. And that's that's where one of my biggest concerns with this is, is I I don't want Brandon Miller just to be a 3-and-D guy that we selected with the number two overall pick because he can't score at the rim right now. That That, that has me significantly worried. He shot 44% in college against top 50 competition. That would have been the worst in the NBA last year amongst guards. And people are trying to tell me. I I, I don't see him being able to play shooting guard. I heard Stephen A. Smith say this even, that if he can play the two, I think that this is a win. And there's a lot of people on Twitter saying, well, he could be your two guard. I don't see how you're going to run a lineup with LaMelo and Brandon Miller and expect to stay in front of anybody in the league at the guard position because LaMelo is best when he is guarding the 3-and-D guy in the corner, can sag off and use his defensive instincts to read passes, getting to pass in lanes, different things like that. He needs to work on not getting back cut because that's what ends up happening. LaMelo sags off the 3-and-D player that's sitting in the corner trying to read passes, pick off. Get out and transition, and then he he ends up ball watching. He gets back cut, and then boom—you got a guy dunking on Lamelo ball, you know, or behind Lamelo ball because he was trying to read these passes, different things like that. Lamelo's not guarding other backcourts. He's got the length and size in order to be on the three and D guy. That's good, right? But then when you have. Brandon Miller out there six he's not going to be quick enough to stay in front of other opposing teams point guards and I don't think that he's going to be able to do well on shooting guards either and so I think that we're almost setting him up for failure in that aspect when we say things like that because I I don't see it and I, I I guess other people do um I mean at the end of the day I guess you could say well Right now, your next best option is Terry Rozier. How's that going for you? And I get that argument, but if you be a, it, excuse me, if you want to be a good team, like something there's going to have to change. Like you can't run that. Like that's not a recipe for success. Um. But that rim pressure, it, it, like he's got to get better at the rim and. Like, that's going to take time to develop an NBA body. If he was struggling against college competition, like, what's he going to do at the NBA level? Like, when you have seven-foot giants down there who are really good defenders, who know how to go up, who know, who are strong, who protect that rim, and that's, like, their number one asset. It's tough, man. I just I don't see that aspect of his game developing for years, and that's fine. I mean, he's 20 years old. We can play the long game, but Scoot was just, he was going to be more ready day one, and he was going to be, in my opinion, he has the higher upside. I project him to be the better player long term, and I definitely project him to be the better player in the immediate and so that's why I really wanted the scoot. And then everybody talks about the attributes with the leadership, things like that. I've stated all of this before on prior episodes, but just after sitting over the weekend and really mulling it over and different things, I know a lot of people started switching, you know, and I, I posted this online as well. I think there was a lot of groupthink going out. I think that Scoot has a memorable name. I think that Scoot, you know, it's fun. And we've seen him at All-Star Weekend. And, you know, um, he's LaMelo Ball-esque. He he has, you know, his partnership with Puma. And um, he's been at All-Star Weekend. And he's been in the public eye for quite some time. And he went a, you know, non-traditional route, much like LaMelo ball and, you know, different things. And so I think a lot of people were just jumping on it because they were familiar with it. And that's what a lot of people do. And I think after choosing and selecting Brandon Miller, a lot of people actually spent a little bit of time with his tape and at least watching highlights or watching a game or something. And so people flipped on it real quick. I'm rooting for Brandon Miller, one thousand percent. And so that's not what I'm saying here. I just I, I I don't think that we chose the right player at two. i just I don't um for the immediate or for the future. Um, I really like the Nick Smith Junior selection. I really like that um, former top three recruit in the country. He dealt with injuries, shot never really fell. He tried to play through injuries, tried to come back too soon, different things like that. I, That's concerning because we've had enough, you know, concerns with injuries here in Charlotte, obviously. Uh, but the talent is there. Uh, James Naji, I like because he's that draft and stash guy in Spain. Uh, I mean, honestly, he projects to be – uh, Bismack Biombo with better uh, measurements and better hands. So for the athleticism and the motor and the desire that Bismack Biombo had, um, I say biz and a lot of people are like, oh no, no, Biz had some really good attributes and he's made an NBA career out of it. So I mean <laughs> Biz is still in the league, right? And so he's made a career out of his basketball playing skills uh, because he has the desire, the motor, the want to, and the athleticism, right? James Naji has better measurements than Biz, and he has better hands than Biz. And that sounds pretty good. That sounds like a guy who can be in the league for 10-plus years, right? I mean, that's what Biz MacBiombo's done. And so if you give me a better Bismack Biambo, I think that's a good pick. Um, and maybe it it will translate – hopefully it will translate to the Charlotte Hornets at some point. Maybe we see him in Summer League. Maybe we don't. We'll see how that really – how that goes. He came to Charlotte, so that kind of says, hey, maybe he's going to get ready for Summer League. I haven't seen where, you know, that's been penciled in, where he's going to be a part of Summer League or not, but – we will uh we'll definitely keep an eye on that. And then uh Mari Bailey another top, you know, prospect coming out of high school. I like taking the chance there. It's just we added a lot of young guys to the fold. <laughs> um I think that that's a detriment to James Booknight. I think the writings on the wall that he better have a good summer league and a good, you know, training camp or he's done here in Charlotte and maybe he gets another opportunity with somebody else somewhere else. Uh, he better have a good summer. That's all I got to say with James Booknight or he is done here in Charlotte. Um, but those are my thoughts on the draft. I would have liked to trade some of those picks for, you know, a guy, maybe, you know, package, um, uh, you know, a player in the deal, but then also you got to have two to tango and maybe we just didn't have anybody. And at this point where the roster stands, I think your leadership (laughs) aspect, uh, if you, if you trade away Terry Rozier right now, you have, you have next to none. And, um, I just, gosh, but then like, You see what the backcourt looks like with LaMelo and Terry, and Terry has real trade value, I believe. Uh, I think any contender would want him. So, I just, man, there's a lot going on there. But thanks for listening to another episode of Hive Hoops. That was our free agency breakdown, just kind of coming into the week. We'll get into that a little bit deeper as the week goes on. Review of the draft, kind of our thoughts on it. Um, Until next time, adios. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Hive Hoops. Presented by By The the Lead. lead. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, be sure to leave a review and let us know what you thought of the episode. Thanks again from Hive Hoops. (laughs)